welcome to the Offside Rule WSL edition. We're back together again, much like the Spice Girls reunion in 2012. <laughs> it's me, Kate Borsay. And me, Lindsay Hooper. And we're ready to talk you through the week that saw England losing 2-1 to Brazil in Middlesbrough and World Cup winning coach Jill Ellis taking charge of her final match as the USA head coach, ending with a one-all draw against South Korea. But that's not the big news at all today because we're absolutely honoured to have the greatest England player I've ever seen in my time, <laughs> definitely. Kelly Smith is in the building. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. I want to know what's been going on in your life because I've seen pictures. <laughs> uh, we are connected via the means of social media and uh, you've got a beautiful baby girl now. Yeah, she came along nine weeks ago, uh, baby Lucia. Uh, it actually took us five weeks to name her. We couldn't come up with a name. <laughs> Rocco, my my son, we had a name nailed on when we saw him. It was, yes, Rocco, but this this baby, she's so gorgeous, so beautiful, but we just couldn't agree on a name. So for five weeks, she was just baby. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but finally, I think you had uh, six weeks to register the name, so we left oh, yeah, it so you, quite late. You had to do it right in at the end. I've I've had friends like that who were just literally like, Honestly, it's enough having two kids. I can't be bothered to name mm. it as well. It's just baby. Um, what name came close? And did you draw on any of your sporting influences from we the past? We had a few names. And one day she was Frankie. Another day she was Ruby. Then she was Sydney. <laughs> then she was Blaze. It was just a handful of names. And we just, it just didn't fit those names. And then when we found the name Lucia, we were just like, yeah, we've got to go for that. Lucia is lovely. And it, very much like we, our very own Hayley McQueen's just had a baby, Ayla. Yes, really like that. As well. Haley, yeah. So there's some lovely names and distinct different ones because you don't want them going into school class and there being, you know, half a dozen people putting their hand up, which might have been the case for Ruby because that was quite popular yeah. at one point. So It's true. Yeah. And thank you very much for coming on the show nine weeks after giving birth. I salute you. <laughs> All power, Kelly Smith. A true legend on and off the pitch now that she's uh, she's rocked up into the Offside Rule studio. You were obviously at the World Cup during the summer. And I'm guessing after that sort of maternity leave, what are your plans now? And are you going to be doing a lot more stuff with Fox as well? Because we enjoy you in a commentary position. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, I really enjoyed my time out there. I was out there for the whole five weeks yeah. in Paris, in the studio, working with some fantastic talent. So it was a pleasure to be there. I've Obviously, my contract with them was for two years for the Women's World Cup. And, and previous to that, I was in Russia for the Men's World Cup. So, yeah, after nine weeks of giving birth, I finally get myself back into the working mental state now and doing little bits like, like today. And hopefully more stuff will come up within the women's game and the men's game in the next couple yeah. of weeks because I feel ready now. Uh, I need to get out of the house um, <laughs> <laughs> and away from the kids to, to actually get a rest, I think. I, I absolutely appreciate that. Are you yourself thinking about getting into any more coaching, Kelly? We know you did a bit with Arsenal and it would be such a shame not to see you part of this rise in women's football because it is part of your legacy as well, having helped to build up the game here in the UK. Are we, are we going to hope to see you involved at all? Um, I currently put on my coaching badges on hold. I was on my UEFA A licence and then obviously had Rocco. And do you know what? Being a full-time mum at home is, is so demanding. And I think with the coaching aspect, you have to throw your whole life into it. You yeah. have to live and breathe it. And right now, I can't do that with two young children. Yeah. My focus is on them. So I'm not going to say I'm never going to coach and, and get that UEFA A badge. That, that is a long-term goal. But right now, my focus is on the kids. And, yeah. you know, when they go back to school, maybe, you know, I'll pick up the badges again. 
again. You've got so much to offer in that department, though. Even if someone at the moment, just whilst you're making your decision about that going forward, I mean, as a striking coach, <laughs> surely someone is rubbing their hands together at the thought of potentially having Kelly Smith be able to show WSL stars how to bury the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, Emma Hayes has been in my ear to try and get me down to Chelsea yeah, and good. work with the strikers. And I good. haven't actually, you know, as I said before, the timings haven't worked out. But never say never. Yes. I would love to, you know, get back in at some point and mm. just help. You know. How much of a baller is Rocco? Because I can imagine that <laughs> there's a few little uh, football you know training what? sessions going on at home. Maybe? I think he's actually quite good. I'm not <laughs> just saying that because I'm his mum. He's left footed the same as me. So I'm like Oof. absolutely delighted with that. Sometimes he picks the ball up and he runs with it. But most of the time he's kicking it with his left foot. We play with a balloon. We play with um, a beach ball. I've got <laughs> numerous sizes of footballs that we go and play out in the, in the back garden. Obviously now we can't because it's getting colder out. But we, yeah, I'd love, it, love him to play football if he could. We will move on to England in a moment. But first, because obviously you've got all your colleagues from the Fox Sports team and you'll know and have your own experiences with her yourself. But it was Jill Ellis's retirement weekend. Uh, she bid well, farewell to the game. As we mentioned before coming in here, you know, two World Cups. What could she do next? I know. Literally, you know, maybe a cigar and put your feet up for her. <laughs> but yeah, she's a tremendous coach. You can see what she's done for the, for the US women's programme. Yeah. Um, yes, she's got some talented players, but she has to man manage the, those players, yeah. like she did with Carly Lloyd. You know, Carly wanted to play every game and every minute, yeah. but her, so I should say, women management skills, you know, around that. I think she's been fantastic for the game. You only have to put that hashtag in, thank you, Jill, which was trending over the weekend. And, and then the USWNT changed their Twitter account to hashtag thank you, Jill. So I kept saying uh, yeah. hashtag thank you, Jill, hashtag thank <laughs> yeah. you, Jill. So and, they, and it brings you took to the over players. the whole Twitter account, yeah. Uh, and they, they all were saying such brilliant things about her. And you know what? when a squad is all coming out like that, this isn't one or two people, this mm. is a many, Everyone's many people. Her, yeah. So in terms of replacements, do you have any scoop? I have no, I've been <laughs> out of it for a little bit. But yeah, I, I don't know who would possibly come across Huge and, and do that. Yeah, it's a massive job because obviously coming off the back of winning back-to-back World Cups and you've got such talented players, you know, you have to find the right person. And right now, I don't know if anybody's name's been thrown into the pot, have, have they? Did you spit your water out Phil when Neville. Phil Neville's <laughs> Yeah, no, obviously they want the best, don't they? And they see Phil and the way he's handled himself, especially mm-hmm. in the media and the way he, he conducts himself. I think that is very appealing to the US. They've had managers before that haven't obviously worked out with Tom Simone but who's who's we don't know who's going to be no. the next manager yet well Jill is going to stay as ambassador for the USWNT until at least next year this is the Offside Rule WSL edition from Muddy Knees Media alright well enough about America let's talk Lionesses England have been back playing on the international stage and if the friendly against Brazil was meant to banish the World Cup hex, that seems to have incapacitated the Lionesses thus far post-France. Well, it didn't work, did it? Now, Tammy Ress, the left-back. Oh, she's done very well. Goes again in, against Nikita Paris. It's good full-back play, and it's in! Well, they've scored with their first big chance of the game. 1-0, Davinia scores for Brazil. And it went right through Mary Earps, the goalkeeper. And it's Beatrice. And it comes to Depenia. And it's two. And England have got a long, long way to go if they are to get some sort of result here today. It's with Bethany England. Oh, what a very, very good goal. That's brilliant. And England are back in it. A moment of inspiration from one of the game's most deserving young players. She has really worked so hard for this opportunity. She's on as a substitute for Phil Neville and she's taken it big time. That's her first England goal. 
Well, it was only a friendly, but against an ageing Brazil side, who we are told should be fading into the abyss. But albeit some superstar names, England should have really done better. Numerous missed opportunities in the first half were punished by a brace from Brazil's Dabina in the second half. Beth England made an immediate impact as a substitute, and she had a brilliant header for the Lionesses and nearly got another towards the end, but it did finish 2-1 to Brazil. So, Kelly, getting over the World Cup hangover, why isn't it going so well at the moment, do you think? That's I think it's just football you know sometimes results don't go your way I think they created so many chances especially the first half yeah. they could have you know gone in two or three nil up and when you don't put your goals away and your chances at that level you saw what happened Brazil a very talented and technical side mm-hmm. they can punish you and that's what happened especially second half a lack of concentration defensive errors and we saw that in the World Cup with England they conceded too many goals from from crosses and it's just poor decision making in the final third for me in the recent games. Yeah, it has been tricky. Let's look at that defensive problem because it keeps coming up again and again. And and I think if Phil Neville isn't careful, it will really shadow his time as England manager if he doesn't get that sorted. A lot of discussion about the centre-back pairing. Mm. Obviously, it was um, for the most part of the World Cup, Steph Horton and Millie Bright. Millie not in the squad, she's injured. So Leah Williamson, it was her turn. And I I think a lot of people wondering why Leah hadn't got so much of an opportunity before seemed to be you know seemed to be doing everything right on the field but nothing right enough to for Phil Neville to to select her so he put that right in this game do you think it's then just time needed if we or is it about establishing a regular centre-back pairing yeah I'd agree with that you know I I rate Leah Williamson so highly I played with her for a number of years and she's very versatile she can play across that whole back line as a right back as a left back she's now playing holding midfielder for, for Arsenal but for me, she's so comfortable on the ball and I think England need that at the back. Too many times you saw in the World Cup, passes going astray in the midfield yeah. and then the team attacking with the ball higher up the pitch. So if we can get a better ball player there, which Leah Williamson is, mm. with that composure playing out from the back and and having the vision to play and spread long passes and, and calmness there, I think at times England was just hoofing the ball out. And Leah doesn't do that. You know, she's calm under pressure. Yeah. She'll play those um, little balls into the midfield and, and yeah. she's very good with they the ball looked, at her feet. I mean, they looked spooked and it wasn't just the defence part part of the midfield. If you look at look at the first goal, which, you know, I suppose Mary Epps probably at fault for, but 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 there were, you know, six England players Ooh. around that, that goal well, mouth and they were all sort of uh Often, when people talk about defensive problems, though, often that is linked to midfield as well. And if you if you take a closer inspection of the midfield players, often they're not helping shadow what is meant to be a a bit more of a a higher line with defence, or they're not creating that creativity. And I did think that first of all, I thought the final ball in this match was missing again. And although Beth Mead did shine in in this match. I do think that the absence of players like Farrah Williams since she's left the team, I think it's really noticeable. That, and Jordan Nobbs coming back is only a good thing. Yeah. But that creativity, I think, has been missing as well as that ability to help the defence out on occasions. Yeah, I think for the first goal, certainly uh, Nikita Parrish should have done better with the cross. She dove, dove in, she she didn't stand up and it allowed Tamirez to, to cross that ball in and then Earps should have saved it. Mm. You know, it's a little bit of nerves probably on her debut. But yeah, the certainly the centre half pairing of Williamson and Horton. Obviously, it's new, so they're not really used to playing with each other. Mm. And then I think the second goal, you know, the cross from 
down the right hand side Alex Greenwood allowed the cross in yeah. you know as a defender you've got to stay on your feet you've got to stop those crosses coming in and then uh, the player run off of Lucy Bronze's shoulder you know she just didn't take a look and get a positioning right when yeah. that ball come over it just seemed to be seems to be that we've got a lot of talent on the pitch but a bit like having you know Kira Walsh Jordan Nobbs and Jill Scott all brilliant players and I don't dispute that they should be part of our midfield but I just think positionally Phil Neville didn't quite get that combination right and just to pay tribute to that Brazil performance particularly in the second half Kelly Dabinia was awesome two goals to her but just her quality I think on and off the ball Marta came off at half time she was one of those changes but great to see her and you could see the crowd were buoyed weren't they to see some of these Brazilian superstars where could the side go from here? Because they they certainly gave England more of a run for, for their money than, than they were expecting. And I think it looks really positive for the future of Brazilian football. Yeah, and I think obviously signing Pia Suntaga is a massive coup for them because she's a very good defensive coach. And Brazil, you know, should have done better in past tournaments, but defensively they, they leak too many goals. They're very good on the eye, playing good possession football. You've got Marta dictating, going forward, and yeah. Dabinia, very, very skillful players, but they lack that still, that mentality to defend and be organised at the back. And, and Pia Suntaga brings that, you know, with Sweden. She played a rigid 4 4 2 with America. She tried to instill that. And she's very good as a defensive tactical coach. So, you know, Brazil are going to reap the benefits yeah. from that. I thought, thought the Brazilian goalkeeper Barbara also made some key saves as well. If it wasn't for her, then England may well have equalised. Well, let's continue this conversation with She Kicks founder and general women's football Don, an expert. It's hard to find something she doesn't know about. In fact, we should probably ask her about Portugal later. (laughs) (laughs) We're Uh, struggling. (laughs) Jen O'Neill, welcome to the Offside Rule. Thank you for joining us. You were there at the Riverside, a crowd of just under 30,000. Yeah, it was a fantastic atmosphere. And, you know, everybody's, there's a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth amongst uh, fans, certainly on social media and some of my colleagues in the media about the game. But I spoke to people on the way home and I've had messages from friends who don't often go to football matches and they all really enjoyed it. As an occasion, it was fantastic. What was missing was the result. England were a lot better in the first half than people are giving them credit for. I've seen the words tepid display, which to me just seems extremely harsh for what was a really vibrant first 45 minutes of football. Do you think that this has been exaggerated then? Because if you look across the press this morning, there are, there are sections saying, you know, the, the England were booed. I definitely didn't hear any booing. Uh, there was a Mexican wave went round shortly after the second Brazilian goal, which is like a sort of passive aggressive wave um, trying to um, get in the atmosphere going because there's crap on the pitch, if you know what I mean. So that was a, was a so, so like women's football way of saying do better. Yes. Okay. Do you think that underneath all that, though, there there is some unrest around around Phil Neville? I mean, that's the thing that's coming out in in the press, isn't it? Yeah, but I think it, there have to be questions, absolutely. And he said himself in his own words after the game, "I want to be judged like any other manager." So it's not all just this happy, clappy, grow the game nonsense, which is obviously important. It, it has to start providing results. They're in a, a weird situation, aren't they, where it's friendly after friendly um, up until the Olympics. So things need to be tried and that's all OK. But 
where does that urgency come from? And he said, we're in a what if period where the style of football they play, they will be punished on occasions, but he's not going to compromise on that. We know all that. He said that right from day one. I asked him, well, how, how long is it acceptable to be in this what if period? Because how many games, it's five games since they last won, how many games do we see this keep happening before he does something or somebody outside of that 56 members of staff and him says, maybe maybe you're not the guy to do this because he can see what's going wrong, but at, at some point he has to make sure the players on the pitch stop those things from happening. For me, it's like the first half. They were really at the races, you know, Jen. The, the ball was being played freely, really exciting stuff. And then they took the foot off the pedal the second half and then allowed Brazil to come onto them. And that's where England aren't very good when they give up possession quite quickly. Why do you think that the first half they can perform, but then the second half they don't perform as well? Uh, it's, a, it's a good question. And we have the benefit of spending time with Pia Sundhager as well. So there's always two sides to these things. And she thought they were shocking in the first half. And the Brazil team, that is, giving the ball away bad decisions, not using the flanks in the way that she'd wanted them to, because that's what she's trying to to drill into her team. So she changed things, made three changes at halftime, and she implored them to to do better. So they start to raise their performance. And when they when teams press Kira Walsh and press the back four, England do struggle. They make little yeah. mistakes. And you could probably argue that Jordan Nobbs, although she didn't get the ball as much as she wanted to in the first half, she she probably dipped a little bit in the second half and then when they took her off then it totally changed that when Jordan you know normally plays for England she's the heartbeat of the team but I just felt like this game I know you need to get her back in there but it seems like her decisions were a little bit off because she was trying too hard trying to impress too much on a you know a first start back after ACL it just didn't seem to be working she was getting in good positions but her final decision ball wasn't very good I just think her movement, her movement and intelligence in terms of the movement makes it difficult for opposition teams because she might not even be on the ball, but she's still influencing. I think Nikita Paris went off the boil after a good start. They were they were really up for it, weren't they? Because the atmosphere was was so good, because a lot of players were playing sort of on home territory and had huge numbers in the crowd. Some players stepped up because of that and some players didn't. Beth Mead was fantastic, I thought. And on another day, the number of chances she created, then Jodie Taylor would have put away or Ellen White would have put away. I think sometimes we we think we're better than we are because of in two tournaments, we've had two strikers that were, were ruthless and put, put the ball in the back of the net on a very small number of chances. And we missed Ellen White and we have yeah. missed Ellen White. Jen O'Neill from SheKicks.net talking about England and was at the match. And next up, it is Portugal for England. Uh, You do wonder, something that Jen touched on there, Kelly, was this element of friendly after friendly and no competitive Mm. fixtures. And that's all the way up to the Olympics and then hosting the home Euros because we're already guaranteed a place by being hosts. How much is that going to have a a potential impact on, on the tournament itself and tournament football? Because maybe the players will get themselves up for this friendly against Germany but you look at all the others and and it is difficult how did you as a player get yourself up for those sorts of matches it is very very hard when you know that there's you know you've already qualified for the tournament mentally going into the game you're a little bit more relaxed because you know you you're already there so you have to change your mindset a little bit and try and 
prepare as though it is a must-win game and that you it's it, it tournament mm. football. Um, it's very difficult, but that's the manager's job and the players' job to yeah. rally round and get them, you know, in that right mindset and and try and win the game and play with good, attractive football. Yeah. Can I ask you about getting over a big defeat, whether it's losing the league, losing a cup, losing out mm. in a in a tournament, and the mentality behind that? I mean, you've got a lot of experience. Is there anything that if you were you know, advising England, you'd say, do you know what, to get over that hurt? Because I think, let me backtrack a little bit, I don't think it helped that the whole way through the tournament it was, we're going to win, we're out to win, we're going to win, we're going to win. If you repeat that over enough times and then you don't win, of course it's going to shatter you. Of course it is. How do they try and move on? Because it isn't a secret that the players are struggling, but I, I would argue that they are still really struggling now with it. Yeah, you have to you have to put it to the back of your head. You know, you have to go out and focus. It's a new goal now. It's a new season. Really, for, kind of forget about that. It was so good when it happened. All the people watching and the, you know the goals that they scored. And for me, when Phil Neville and the team said we're going to win it, I just thought, oh, that's that's bold. That's a big statement. Mm. Any England side I've played in, yes, we probably haven't have been as talented as this current Lionesses, but we would never come out and say we're going to win the tournament or we're going to win it because we just don't want that kind of attention mm. on us. It just it brings an added pressure. And um, I think England felt that knowing that they were going there to win it. Yeah. And when they I, did, it wasn't going their way, you know, they, they struggled to deal yeah. with it mentally. So next at Portugal, 25 places below England. In terms of their personnel, there are a couple of familiar names that people might have recognised from WSL, but who are the players that we should be looking out for? So we've got Anna Borges, who currently, well, used to play for Chelsea. She's now gone back to Portugal. She was always a threat um, down that right-hand side for, for Chelsea, so she'll be probably playing in the right-back or or right midfield position. And then Amanda da Costa, um, who, who's actually American, but got, got ties to Portugal. Mm. She was at Liverpool. play for yeah. Liverpool. She's a very talented player, very good on the ball, can dictate from mid- midfield. And then you've got Nito. So yeah, who's who's the captain, isn't she? She plays for Wolfsburg, but I think you know she was at she was at Linkopings for um, three years before that as well. Plays in, in the in the midfield, and when you've got players like you know Neto, well over a hundred caps, Borges as well, mm. well over a hundred caps too. What do we expect from this Portuguese side? I mean, they were the side that England eliminated in Euro 2017. They didn't qualify for the World Cup, of course. And when I say what do we expect from them, it's actually hard to know, isn't it? where we're going to be with Portugal other than that England need to play their game I suppose and get on with it yeah they're going to be England England are going to be hurting from that that loss at home against Brazil so they're going to want to come out and and show Phil Neville and you know the English um, spectators that they're they're better than that and they can put the ball in the back of the net but Portugal are young they're talented but I think England will have too much for them Portugal played America recently and lost 4-0 off the back of their victory tour and Portugal never had a a shot on target so you saw how good the England-USA game was and how close that was so I expect England to come out Um, Portugal really struggle with playing with a high tempo game and if England can get on top of them the early you know five ten minutes and kind of dictate the game I see it being an England win yeah well Portugal versus England is on Tuesday in Lisbon so we'll wait to see what happens there with the national side taken care of we're going to now preview the next round of WSL fixtures you're listening to the offside rule WSL edition from Muddy Knees Media 
This is the Offside Rule WSL edition with Kate Borsay, Lindsay Hooper and England legend Kelly Smith as well. Uh, this weekend in the WSL, see some brilliant matches coming up. Really just the one to salivate over first because it's a top of the table clash and it's your former club as well. Chelsea versus Arsenal. On Sunday, this one at Kings Meadow sees the undefeated Chelsea host champions Arsenal. And the last time that they met Kelly was in January. Erin Cuthbert netted twice, got Chelsea all three points. Vivian Miedemar's uh, strike was just a consolation in the end in the 80th minute in that one. But do you think it might be a different story this time round? Because Joe Montemoro's obviously got Jordan Nobbs, Kim Little back in the side this time. Yeah, for me, Jordan Nobbs is a brand new signing for them. She missed a big chunk of the season last year. But yeah, no, I think any time that Arsenal face Chelsea, it's a mouth-watering tie. I used to love playing in this fixture. But just because of the pure rivalry between the two sides, being from London, the players know each other so well. And it's just fine margins. It's whether it's a a mistake or a a moment of brilliance, this is what wins these games because it is so close. And neither side wants to drop any points against, you know, the top teams. Obviously, Chelsea drew with Brighton recently, so they've already dropped points. They want to get back to winning ways. Both sides winning 4-0 in their last WSL fixture. And it feels like they're both hitting form at the right time as well, Kelly. So this really will be a tasty tie. A quick word on Leah Williamson. I know we mentioned her earlier on in the podcast with respect to England. But interesting from Joe Montemurro playing her as the holding midfielder. Yeah, she's you know one of my favourite players that I played with, and now you know watching from from afar, she's so good on the ball, especially breaking up play, reading where the ball's going to go, and then comfortable in possession and playing forward. I think for, for a number of years Arsenal have lacked that real solid player that can do that in the middle of the park and he's Joe's showing such faith in her now and she's delivering you know she's up for a player of the month which says it all you know she's she's dictating play from from the middle of the park and Arsenal are reaping the benefits well let's move on to Manchester City Birmingham undefeated Manchester City take on this Birmingham side who are yet to score a goal in this season's WSL their last fixture was postponed though I should put that little little caveat in there Kelly City look really good again this season squad depth key for them really and I think that that's where we'll see them continue to excel during the season and they haven't needed Ellen White have they? Not yet no Pauline Bramers look really good really yeah. tasty coming up with a couple of goals just their movements um, helping Man City and they haven't conceded a goal yet so yeah. they're good defensively with Steph and, and that co at the back so yeah they're looking to be a, a strong force again. In fact City haven't um, conceded a goal all season would you go as far as to say that that's been their strength? I mean, we always talk about City usually and goals, but, you know, only four goals so far. But I actually think it's the fact that they haven't let many in that's been, well, any. In yeah, they're very good. Better. They're very regimented. They all know their jobs, especially defensively. As soon as they lose, lose the ball, if they compress, they do. If they don't, they get back into shape and make it very difficult for other teams to, to break them down. And, you know, any time that I played against City, it was always going to be very, very difficult and they just they just know their roles and that's what helps them not concede and when you don't concede it breeds confidence throughout the team you know the first first main point is to not concede to give yourself a chance to to stay in the game and they certainly do that and when they score one or two goals they they believe in themselves even more not to concede well we've got the man closest to the city team to give us some inside scoop and that is man city's head coach nick cushing Nick, thanks very much for joining us. Can we start by asking about international breaks in women's football? I mean, what do you do between now and your next game against Birmingham at home? Well, in in previous seasons, we've had maybe three, four or five players um, that have been back at the club that haven't been involved in international football, whether it be with England or or any of the other countries. But recently, we haven't had any 
any players. So previously we would have kept those players in. We would have put some training on for them and just made sure that they were ready for the international break finishing and the games coming. But over the last season, and especially this international break, we haven't actually got any players. They're all away, apart from the injured players who are rehabbing. So as a staff preparing, because we've obviously got a minimal amount of days to lead into those games, is making sure that we're getting the best out of those two days for the squad. It's a bit of a challenge though, isn't it? Two days. It isn't much at all. Is it a chance for you to rotate players, do you think, Nick, when you play Birmingham? How do you think you might sort of look at that fixture? Because you're at home again, which is um, which is obviously nice. Yeah, it is a challenge because it's two-day leading. But to be fair, over the last two seasons, because of Champions League and because of us going into the latter stages of the cup competitions, we, we play every three days most of the time anyway. So... It's been a, a two, one or two day lead into most games. So we've sort of developed the process really and a, and a strategy around how we make sure that we prepare with minimal time. With regards to rotating for Birmingham, I think there's, there's two things that sort of change your thinking a little bit. One, we don't know how the players are going to come back because they've still got games to play. So we'll use all of the data and all of the feedback from the international teams to help us informed decision on who's fresh and who's fit and we'll just look at the squad when it comes back and and make sure that we put a team on the pitch that is prepared to go and win the game because obviously we want to continue winning. Mm. I mean you mentioned rehab and the players coming back have you got an update for us on Jill Scott and and when we're likely to see Ellen White pulling on us a t-shirt? Yeah Jill Scott's been released from the England squad because she's having a little bit of ankle trouble but it's it's nothing major it's nothing that she hasn't had before she went on the England camp she was having you know, obviously with the amount of games Jill's played over the last 15 years, she's going to have, you know, bumps and bruises and aches and pains. Um, so it was just an informed decision between club and country that Jill wouldn't play the two games if she had problem after the first game and she had a little, slight little problem after the uh, Brazil game. So she's been released and we'll come back and we'll just make sure that she's fit for Birmingham. Yeah, Ellen White's close. She's very close to being in the squad against Birmingham. If not, then she'll definitely be in the squad against Atletico Madrid. It's just about that she's in her end stage of rehab now this last five days. So we'll probably look at it on Thursday when we get the team back to see where she's at. But, you know, she's out. She's got her boots on. She's been doing ball work and she's been running. So it's really positive for Ellen. We just we just need to make sure we get that time right because we don't want to lose her again. Let's look ahead to the Champions League as well, because I'm sure that that's one that everyone's got their eye on. First leg on the 16th of October, you're up against Spanish League champions Atletico Madrid. And it's the tie of the round, really, for us. And and, and it's been called the Tony Duggan derby, uh, <laughs> Nick, as well. <laughs> How are you going to approach this one? Because it will definitely be a really good game of football. Two, two sides well-matched for this one. Yeah, of course. I mean, if, if you look at the draw, you know, I see in the media around the draw and, be- and previous to the draw, it was the only, what people perceive as the only difficult tie or the most difficult tie. Mm. But for us, I think, you know, the, the big games, especially early on in the season, the big games are what prepare you to go into the, the latter stages. So, you know, if not only do we have to beat Atletico Madrid to go on into the Champions League, but we have to beat Atletico Madrid just to almost propel us into the Arsenal, the Man United, the Chelsea games that, ultimately will decide whether you win trophies in the cup competitions or the league. So although it's a more difficult tie than maybe the other seven teams that we could have drawn six because we couldn't have drew Arsenal, it's a good tie for us because it'll be a marker of where we're at as a squad. As you know, we've obviously, people have seen that we've had a bit of a transition in players and we've brought some new players in. 
we're happy with where we're at. But like you say, they're a very difficult team to play against. We obviously played against them in the Champions League last season. We played them in pre-season out in North Carolina. So I think we're pretty familiar with each other and it'll be about who's the most prepared team and who plays the best over the two legs, really. Thanks very much to Manchester City women manager Nick Cushing. Let's talk Birmingham, though, Kelly, just briefly. They are on no points at all. They sit second bottom of the table. They lost to Everton and again to West Ham. They did win against Everton in the Conti Cup, though. But uh, they are Ellen Whiteless. She's gone the other way, of course. It's going to be really tough for Birmingham. They've made a lot of signings. And so you've got quite quite a, a, a kind of sum of disjointed parts, I suppose. Don't forget they've lost Aoife Mannion too. A exactly. A big leader for them yeah. in the centre centre half position. And she was the person that controlled a lot of their defensive backline shape and communicating through to the, to the middle of the park. And those two big losses have really hurt them. And when you've got a lot of new signings coming in, it takes you time to... Mm. To get to, you know, to understand each other and, and kind of get back to winning ways. So I, I feel for Birmingham a little bit. I see them, you know, struggling to pick up points so early on could affect them later on in the season. Instead, other teams are grabbing the limelight, which in, brings us on to another key tie. Spurs against Manchester United at 12.30 on Sunday, this one. Two newly promoted teams that are locking horns at the Hive. Um, and these have come up against each other quite a few times because in the WSL, in the championship last season, uh, they were gunning for the title, weren't they? And being promotion rivals, they do know each other very well. So who do you think will have the edge in this one that's a tough one um, both teams have started you know really well within the the Super League um, I think Manchester United will just have that little bit of edge um, especially with Leah Galton the form that she's in mm. and Lauren James popping up with a goal she's only just turned 18 she's a fantastic player um, and if those two players are on form you've got Zalem um, in the middle of the park for Manchester United I just think they will have a little bit too much for Spurs in the attacking options but Spurs have started really really well I've been quite impressed with them yeah. um, the opening game of the season against Chelsea they didn't really have too many chances but defensively they look really good and and I think um, they'll pick up points along the way, certainly. An interesting observation as well is that the the couple of times that they met in the championship, you know, Man United, quite comprehensive victories. It felt like last season the gulf between the two sides was much greater. But mm. do you see it being closer this time? Because there's lots of changes in personnel at Spurs. Those players seem to have adapted pretty quickly. And I don't think you will necessarily see those 4-0 results in, in this one. Do you think it could be just a goal? Yeah, I think time. it's going to be quite a close game. As, as we said before, both teams know each other very, very well just from previous experiences with each other. But, you know, I think I just think the talent Manchester United have going forward, I think it will be too much um, for Spurs. I like, I like Rhea Percival. I think that's a brilliant signing for Spurs because of the mm. experience that she mm. has back there. And she's first told she can play right back, holding midfielder, centre-back position. And she leads the way back there. But in terms of Rihanna Dean popped up with a goal, um, yeah. I coached her for Arsenal in the development team she's a very good player her hold up play is very good yeah. and I'm pleased for her because she's waited for this opportunity so long and now she's grasping it mm. should be a good tie it really should three more matches to fly through uh, Sunday midday sees 12th take on 10th as winless and goalless Liverpool how that upsets me to say that <laughs> take on an equally winless and goalless Bristol City uh, do we think this one's got nil-nil written all over it Liverpool versus Bristol City <laughs> it seems what that way from, think? from the results that have happened so far Liverpool woeful, really. I don't, I, I don't know what's going on at Liverpool and I don't know if you know anything behind the scenes as well or, or, or just whether it is 
whether they are just struggling in a lot of different areas. Yeah, it's just not happening for them at the minute. But um, they've got to keep their heads up because you can't let it, let it drop so early in the mm-hmm. season and be disappointed with the, the results that they had. They've got to come together and, and pick up some points because... Um, it doesn't look good for them at the minute being so so close to the bottom. The the danger as well in WSL is that you have such a short season, so few fixtures really when you look at it, that if you make a poor start, it's so difficult to recover. It is. And, you know, that's what Arsenal had a problem with that last few seasons ago. They they dropped points early on and then Chelsea and Man City just kept winning, winning and winning. And Arsenal was struggling to, to get those points back on the board. When you play the top sides, you have to beat them, but you can't dro- afford to drop any points to the mid to lower table. And that's what Arsenal did early on. And then they struggled. So Liverpool and, and Birmingham have to start winning at some point. Elsewhere on Sunday, we go to Adams Park, where Reading take on Everton. And Everton have been the surprise package. You always have one in the league every season. And it's been them. Uh, are they real contenders to disrupt the top three? Because there's Man City and, uh, and Arsenal and Chelsea all up there at the moment. But Everton not far behind. Yeah, you saw them give a fantastic game against Manchester City. It was only that Steph Horton free kick that yeah. was between the two sides. And certainly when you've got Chloe Kelly popping up with fantastic goals like she did in the last couple of games, you know, she's she's hungry. She wants to prove a point. She yeah. got that move from Arsenal to, to Everton. And she's been called up into the England squad as well. She's so there she's now. Got she's getting the, yeah. the recognition and she's, you know, leading by example on the Everton side and, and she's the go-to player for them at the minute. Mm. Willie Kirk doing a great job there as manager. Bit of a surprised to see him not named in the manager of the month contenders yeah I think so I would have thought that he'd be right up there yeah I was at the FAWSL panel where we got to vote on players player player of the month and manager Mm. of the month and a couple of the conversations were why isn't he in in that um you know fold so he's done really really well (laughs) (laughs) um there really wasn't one I don't know how they're put forward but yeah I was surprised that he wasn't there because of the results that he's had and they look good defensively Mm, Everton and um, popping up with some good goals a final match to look at then sees table neighbours so this is ninth place Brighton taking on eighth place West Ham Uh, Brighton are going to be the happier I think with their start to the season but I listened to the podcast from last week Mm. and Claire Rafferty was quite strong in saying as a former West Ham player that she felt that West Ham get up for the big games but not so much for the other games. And so that surely means that Brighton have a an open door here, don't they? An open goal. <laughs> I know what Claire means on that. You know, it's 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 easier for you mentally to play an Arsenal or Chelsea or Man City as a as a West Ham player, but they need to start picking up these points certainly and it's a big big occasion for them. Brighton, you know, got picked up that point yes, against Chelsea, Chelsea yeah. and it wasn't until the last, I think, ninety first minute when England scored that goal, they could have had their a big result there so yeah. they know they're capable of it and potentially it could happen against West Ham if they're, they're at the races mm. Well that's the WSL action rounded up for this weekend before we go Player of the Month award Kelly as you said that you were uh, choosing can you say who you chose? I can I'm quite happy to say that I chose Chloe Kelly um, with the pure fact of the quality of her, her goals yes. they were top top draw especially the second one and I think she's had a great start to the season yeah. and that's been rewarded with her England call up yeah, and, and when we talk about Everton being that surprise package, it's nice to pick out a player that's partly responsible for that uh, rise in the table. Guru Wrighton from Chelsea also nominated Leah Williamson from Arsenal and Pauline Bremert from Man City. Um, so we'll see who wins that. Maybe mm. your vote will be the casting one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it for another WSL edition. Kelly, it's been an absolute delight to have you in. Congratulations again on the arrival of your second child. And we hope to see you staying busy and I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot more of you as well as the weeks go by and you get back into work. Yes. Uh, when can people next see or, or hear 
near you? Is there anything on the... Nothing right now. Okay. This is the last one for, for a little while. Continue. Well, you'll be back on with us again, I Hopefully. Soon, I'm I'd sure. love to come back on. <laughs> we'll get you back on soon. Uh, until next time, we're on social media channels, so you can go to at Pod on Twitter. We've got our website, OffsideRulePodcast.com, where we've got more great articles on WSL over there. And we have our Offside Rule weekly every Thursday as well. So much going on in the Offside Rule universe. Yes. <laughs> Kelly, thank you. Lindsay, co-host extraordinaire, thank you. Listeners, we'll see you again next week. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. And for more from the Offside Rule, head to our website, offsiderulepodcast.com. <laughs>